Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today, we're talking about finding your way when you're feeling lost and how Buddhism can help us keep going no matter where we are on our journey. Our guest is James of New York, who shares how a consistent practice of chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo helped him navigate some of the toughest moments of his life, from dealing with addiction to finding his place and purpose. I'll let James share the rest. So yeah, my name is James. I'm 28, I just turned 28, and I'm calling in from upstate New York. Thank you for taking the time again to speak today. And I know like the theme that we're gonna unpack on today's episode is really about learning not to give up and how kind of Buddhism can help you do that no matter what life is throwing at you. And I know you've had all kinds of experiences with that, but I always like to start at the beginning. So if you could just tell me like the brief story of like when and how did you encounter Buddhism and what was going on in your life at the time such that you were interested in chanting? I can try to make it brief, but but it, when I think about it, when I think about what really brought me there. I really think it started in, and yeah, I will make it brief, but it, I think it started in like high school where I moved away from upstate New York to Florida to go and try and find myself, like get out of this place that has attached to so many issues and stuff. And then when I left Florida after I graduated high school, I wanted to move to New York City and two of my best friends from upstate New York got accepted into colleges up there so it was perfect and I didn't really have much of a plan as to what I was going to do when I got there but but I just I just jumped right in and and I moved in with my father's mother my grandmother who I had only met maybe about two or three times in my life and when I got there, long story short, that didn't work out. She told me I had to go. And I was like, where am I gonna go? So I was looking around homeless shelters. I found one that provided a lot of services for LGBTQ youth. And and the same youth organization, they they helped me find a job with Housing Works Thrift Shop. So at Housing Works, is really where like my life started to open up to a lot of opportunities started to come to me. I was meeting so many cool people. I was learning so many cool things. Like this is where I needed to be to figure out what I needed to find out. This is where my plan was gonna come from. And, and there was a woman who was one of my many customer friends and, and she would always invite me to Buddhist meetings and she'd say, you should come chant. I chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, you should come chant with me. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like something that I'd be into. That sounds really cool. 
And I, I always forgot or what me, what day she wanted me to come or, or I had to work or it was a while before I ended up going. And, and then she invited me to a nuclear abolition seminar. And that was like, yeah, I'll go to that. I think I was just, I was always seeking some sort of practice so to speak, like something to like channel or use my spiritual, my spirituality into some sort of practice. And, and when I got to the, uh, the meeting, it really just made sense. The whole concept of chanting this mantra, what the mantra meant and how I could use it to like better myself and my situation. She told me to chant for anything that I wanted. And since I was homeless, I wanted an apartment. So that was like the first thing that I started to chant for in terms of a goal. But, but as far as like how the, how chanting made me feel, um, I don't think I realized it at the time because I was so focused on the goal. But but I think during that time, I was just really like present for my life and and happy and positive and excited. And you know, so I don't know if I didn't I don't think I realized if chanting was the cause of that or it just was happening because I don't know what came first, the, the happiness or the, I don't, I didn't really know, but, but I just remember that as like probably one of the most freshest, most exhilarating times in my life is right when I found the practice, like right when I, before and during that whole year was really, it was on, everything was on for me. Amazing. Yeah. I have a couple of follow-up questions but I love like hearing the context and just you're right it's so hard to tell like obviously sometimes we have really concrete goals like a job an apartment whatever that those are the things that are like motivating us and we need for our well-being and we can chant about them but then there's like this entire invisible layer of like how you feel inside how you approach life and it's yeah totally (laughs) I do know yeah so maybe if you're comfortable sharing and of course for your comfortable sharing is okay. But I'm curious, you know, in terms of what was going on in your life at the time, and these are things that you eventually have been addressing using the practice, among other things. What like, if for someone who doesn't know you, like what was going on internally, or what kind of struggles, I guess, one being housing, were you facing that you eventually started to apply your practice to just so we understand the kind of the context? Yeah, I wouldn't even say for one, for one, my my family has like always struggled with addiction and and when I was in high school, I started to experiment and I don't really think that at the time I it was like a problem for me. I thought I was just like having fun and uh, but the thing is that as two, three, four, years started to go by with this with me chanting when i started chanting it really started to bring my life forward and that's like pretty much all aspects of my life it would bring forward so i think that it really started to bring that became a struggle for me more because 
so many opportunities started coming to me. My life started opening up and, and there was still this part of me that I wasn't really able to let go of. And, and that I think became a time where, where I, it really started to get difficult for me to, to make a decision really. And when I first started, there were a lot of people around me in, in, in the shelter that I was in who were bad influences. A lot of those kids, we would have to leave all at the same time in the morning in the shelter. So there was like a group of kids who were like the cool kids and then they would stick together and get high all day long. And, and, and I liked them because they were kind of funny. And, but I would always have to like leave to go to work because I had a job. I don't know, I'm getting lost in that side, but, but I think definitely as I started to dig deeper with my life, I started to realize that, oh yeah, me like thinking I'm having fun and experimenting with drugs. This is actually, a if it's not a problem now, it's going to be a problem. And, and I don't think that it started to really become apparent to me and real to me until maybe about a year or two in where it really started interfering with, with just, with me being present in my life. I started to realize that, wow, this is really taking me away from like my present. It's taking me away from my future. And, and ultimately this is really what's going to rip me back and forth. I, and I think if I weren't chanting, then, then I probably would have been fine and oblivious to that. I would have been fine just like continuing to like get high and like thinking that was just like, okay. And I don't know where, what direction it would have led me into. So yeah, that really, the struggle was like, it really like brought that to a head. It brought things to a head. I couldn't like really hide anymore or go under the radar. It was like, no, this is like really messing with things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're describing then is that like at the time that you encountered Buddhism, you, you're just at the beginning of your life. You're just growing up. You have these concrete things that you need to figure out, like your first goal of housing. And then it, what happens to everybody, and I'm sure you've witnessed this so many times too, is like once you start chanting, you just start seeing things really clearly. Like you start seeing your own potential clearly. And then you also start to see the things that you need to change really clearly, like you can't escape yourself. <laughs> so I'm curious, it's a lot at the same time. These None of these are small things to address. And do you recall what the first turning point was where you experienced like, okay, Buddhism has helped me tackle this and I want to continue with this practice because I've been able to change something like f kind of the first major turning point for you? First major turning point. Yeah, first major turning point. I started to realize how it was affecting the people around me. And I think that's that was really like... Yeah, I remember... Oh, I never told anybody this story. But I remember I, I, I made lunch plans, the one who introduced me to the practice, because I had been chanting for maybe about years she was a really good friend of mine and we hadn't really gotten a chance to hang out in a while and and I realized that um I had work that day and I completely forgot and but I also had been up all night long partying 
And I had to go to work and I called her and she was already at the restaurant and, um, and I could tell in her voice that she was really disappointed that I was like canceling. So I felt like crap. And, and, and then I went to work and I had a panic attack for the first time in my life. I never knew what a panic attack was until like I was like at the register and couldn't like push a button. And I think that is when I really started to realize that like the fight was on and, but it wasn't over. There were a few more things that, there was another time where I was, I, I there was an activity where, you know, um, where I, again, I had been up all night long and, and I considered not going to the activity, but I really wanted to like support and I really wanted to just knowing that like everything that I do in my Buddhist practice is about a cause to towards world peace and a cause towards my own happiness even though i felt like crap throughout that activity and i know uh, it, uh, other people could see the look on my face too and i think that just though those few like things like that like really made it apparent that like I was no longer having fun. This was no longer like something that like I was cool with. So mm -hmm. I think that's when it was like, okay, I really need to like work on this. I really need to figure out how I'm gonna change this right now. That's when it really shifted from I'm just like hanging out, being cool, blah, 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 to okay, now, no, this is an issue. This is, an, this is an issue. This is stopping me from moving forward. This is affecting the people around me. This is not cool. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. those were like the aha moments for sure. Yeah, I can understand like the, it's like a deep kind of internal awareness where you're just like, I'm not being who I want to be. And it doesn't matter like whether it's because you were partying or it's related to anything else. So many of us show up in ways that we know that we don't want to show up. And then what do you do when you start to realize that's what's happening. Like you can either spiral into self-loathing and just ignore it, or you can be like, okay, I'm really going to change this. And then it's like, how? So I'm curious, like I just, I'm thinking from the perspective of someone who might be listening, who's totally new to Buddhism. Maybe they've, they have found themselves at like a similar type of crossroads. Practically speaking, what did you do? What did your Buddhist practice comprise of? And then like to really start making change and then what changed? I think... I don't think there was like one like thing that had changed. I think I had tried like a therapist, but I never stopped chanting through it. Like I I knew that like me chanting was probably like my best bet to 
not really stay afloat, but to get through the thick and fog of what I was about to go through. Because it's almost as if you're just like wandering in the woods and then you realize you're so like, how do I find my way out? And I really had to just continue to make causes. And I didn't know it's, when you're struggling with addiction. Yeah, it's, it's not realistic to say, oh, I'm just gonna stop. I just really had to start like making decisions that were smart for me. Uh, but, but there were mornings where I didn't feel like getting up and chanting. And there were, but I would still chant. Or there were times where I just didn't want to do, I didn't want to be a part of, of an organization that was helping me break through my, my, my inner weaknesses. But I had to like really be smarter and see where is this my inner weakness trying to protect itself? Is this my my darkness like trying to fight for its life? I really had to be like, really, I had to think in those ways. Like I, I had to, and, and I also had to open up to like my friends, my around me who, who other Buddhists about these things that I, I really didn't want to open up to about. But I realized that the more and the more that, you know, I tell people about this and maybe because all the while there's still a huge part of me that wants to just continue to like get high and escape from my life. And then there's the other part of me who knows that I have to like, knows that that is like not the way and knows that like it's, I, how am I going to kill this thing? So I think I really just started doing things that would like completely mess that whole situation up for me. I would make plans to make sure that I couldn't go off and go on on some bender or something. Like I would I would set things in place and, and let people know what was going on with me to kill this opportunity for me to go and hide. And that was really like a white knuckle kind of experience of like grit. I think addiction is like, it's always at work. It does not stop. And when the pandemic happened, so we're going from, from 2015 when I first started practicing to 2020 now. So I think it's, yeah, it was like five years of like, me realizing and going through this and like good times, great, extremely great times and great experiences, but there was always something holding me back. And so when the pandemic happened and an in-person meetings stopped happening and that was like the perfect opportunity for like my addiction to come out. And I mean, I did, so I did eventually get that apartment that I chanted for, and it was the studio apartment. And so I was in my apartment by myself and I had really nothing else to do that I could think of, but get high. And that's really when it like really, it started to get bad. And so, so I reached out to my family in upstate New York 
who who my grandmother has like over 40 years of sobriety. My sister has over 10 years of sobriety. I had all of my family really is, it's funny because I think they're all doing their own kind of like human revolution in their own way and they always have really been. So I reached out to them and me, a big part of me living in New York City and moving to New York was about, was about me not wanting to like be the same as they were. And oh, I don't have the same issues that they have. I'm not this, I'm not that, I don't have. And, and I think when I reached out to them, I, I had to trust them and I asked them for help. And I ultimately decided that like, the city was just too tempting for me in in my state where i was just then everything shut down you can't go anywhere in public i have all the excuses to isolate we were in like straight quarantine nobody was able to so i went home where i knew that like I didn't have to lie to anybody about what I was going through and and mm. with my family who had real experience with fighting this stuff and and I brought my guns in with me and and it was like the perfect place for me to be the fact that I think the fact that I came home like with my guns was so profound in a way that like that I I always had this dream that like I was gonna come back upstate. I was gonna make it big in New York City and become rich and famous. And then I would go back home and take everybody shopping every day and be able, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> but I think the fact that I came home with Michael Hansen and I was I have a room in my family's house. We have a two-family home and my aunt and her husband lives upstairs with my little cousin. And then my grandmother and my mom and I live downstairs. So I came home and in in the thick of my addiction, like at its peak. And and I think that this was exactly where I needed to be in order for me to break through that part of my karma. Not in New York City, like, like putting all these expectations on myself when there was this really big fat thing that that was really trying to make me fail. And and so I started chanting here. And it took about a year for me to like really like disconnect and give up on those on the drugs. And so I've been home for about two years and I got connected with the SGI up here. And and I really am now like becoming like a man, <laughs> which is really weird because like, I, <laughs> like n not only like the fact that like I live in my family's house, <laughs> that is starting to make me feel more like a man. Okay, I'm a man in here, I gotta. But my, my life is really moving forward 
in a way that like I'm I'm feeling like myself again like I'm really it, I thought it was going to be like a quick thing and it's never like a quick thing and I just am more present in my life in my just in my mm-hmm. everyday life the fact that like my family is around me all the time. Not only is that great because I've missed them so much. My sister has kids. My mom had another kid when I lived in New York. They kept getting older and now I'm like actually in their lives. But like, it is such a kind of like symbiotic relationship where like, I brought Buddhism back to my family that was in disarray. But I think me bringing Michael Hunzen home to this like sacred space for me back to the center of where it all started is like really me going to the root of the problem. That was really like me getting back to the root of like where everything began and chanting there. And really, I kid you not, like, I think that was like the answer all along. I think I had to go to New York and go through all that stuff in order to bring this back to my family. And, and, and I know that one way that I know for sure that there is been a change is because before, when I lived in New York, my sister and I, my sister and I, my sister and I, she's only two years older than me. We're really, we went through a lot as kids. I also have a little brother. There was a time where we were split up, but my sister and I stayed together. And my sister and I have always stuck together. And, but when I lived in New York and when I was like going through my shit, we really were going through a rough patch. We never saw eye to eye. Like it was almost as if we hated each other. And there were times where she would, I I wanted to share the practice with her. I wanted to talk to her about Buddhism and, but she was, she didn't believe it. I was still clearly struggling and, and, and me and my, and now my sister and I've been back since 2020. So it's been three years. I really feel like I have my sister back and I really, we've never been in a better place in our relationship. She's, I really feel like she's like my twin. We're not twins, but that's how connected we are. And, and I recently, just actually yesterday, asked her if she, I never, she's never shown any interest in Buddhism, but her, her daughter, my niece, she asked me the other night, I, she, I picked her up from the house when I was at work on my lunch break, brought her to the mall, so she could hang out at the mall because they had school off and whatever. So she was like at the house by herself. She FaceTimed me. I brought her to the mall. We hung out and then we came back to my house and, and I started like taking off my shoes and stuff. And she's so, are you going to do your chant thing? And I'm like, yeah, I was so tired. I didn't even feel like chanting. I was like, I guess, why can I do it with you? And I was like, yeah, she's 11. She's yeah, I just think it's really cool. And so she literally, we like did 
at Gongyo together. I didn't think that she would even sit through the whole thing. And she really tried to go through the whole thing. And so that was just like really uh, cute and touching. And But I also, uh, I also invited my sister yesterday to to a big youth meeting that's happening at the end of the month and and just the way she said yes i could tell she was actually really excited about it instead of just saying yeah just because i wanted her to do it she was just flattered that i asked and like she was excited to go something about that really I can really see how far i've come and so to answer your question i think <laughs> I think probably making the decision to go back to where it all started and to and to chant there and to really fight that there, I think that was probably one of the smartest things that I could have done. Because I know that if I stayed in New York, it only would have gotten worse. I don't think I would have because I would I wasn't really facing it. I don't think I was really facing it. I don't think I was really like looking at the problem right in its face in its eyes. And me looking yeah. at my family every day in their eyes, in their face, yeah, that kind of is like a mirror for sure. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm so moved. It takes like serious guts to do that. I'm sure so many other people like could have or would have approached it differently. But it's like amazing what you're describing because people always ask like, how does chanting work? What does it actually do? But like when you chant as like we're basically unlocking our buddhahood or buddhability which is our own wisdom our own courage and our own compassion there no one's ever going to tell you this is the way to change your life you have to manifest your wisdom and then you make the decision yourself <laughs> yeah which is like exactly what it sounds like you did like you just listened to your own wisdom because you hadn't you never stopped chanting even if like things like still felt hard in New York. So that's really incredible. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever really put it in words that way either. Because just like you said, like when someone asks like, what do I do when I chant? Or like, how is it going to help me? There's so many ways. There's so many things that are happening all at one time. And it's so hard to put it into words, into English. It's really, because uh, there's so much happening. No, seriously, I'm so encouraged. So thank you for sharing that. And it also, just that comment that you made earlier about like, you thought you'd go to New York, get rich, come home, take everyone shopping. But if you think about it, that is what you did, but just like on a much more important life level, yeah. right? Like you <laughs> obtain this like treasure that yeah. is like the key to happiness, bring it home. <laughs> like, oh my God. You're taking geez. everyone shopping for sure. I did. Oh my God. Holy crap. I didn't even know that. I actually did it. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so amazing okay yeah because you know what I wanted to unpack a little I feel like you've already described this so incredibly in, in your experience and there are so many important Buddhist concepts that power how we apply the practice to our life that's the whole point of the community and why we study in addition to chanting of course and I'm curious we talked a little bit about this on the phone too but I'm curious was there any 
concept that resonated with you in the practice or like now when you think back on your experience, is there anything that you hold on to from like Buddhist philosophy, whether it's a quote or it's an idea that you're like, this is really what it's about? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. And it is never give up. That is the only thing like that anybody needs to remember. Just don't give up. And I've, I've given up a couple of times. I've, I've given up before, but like I continue to get back up and get back in there. And, and like even those days where like I've showed up to like things strung out or whatever and had to, I could have stayed home. I could have saved face. I could have, but like fighting through your issues and, and going through them will just bring you so much farther, quicker. I'll, I'm talking to myself, but never giving up, like continuing to like, just continuing. It's been it's been years since I had been like really struggling. This was like a year. This took years for me to get to where I am now. And like, it's not just like a one day I'm going to wake up and just tackle my problems and they're not going to be here anymore. But but I really just like. I just kept chanting. I just didn't give up on myself and I didn't give up on the practice. I like I just kept at it and that's like the i that motto is like a huge motto in the sgi is never give up and it sounds so cheesy because it's like and i remember when i was in the fifth grade okay i'm sorry (laughs) when i was in the fifth grade we would talk about like what are the what was the theme in this book like we would read a book and my teacher one day we were like never give up and my teacher's on there's got to be another theme she was like sick of hearing it but but it's so true if i had to pick like one never give up for sure just don't give up on yourself don't stop keep fighting Mm. just keep fighting absolutely Yeah, it's also the reason that this show is called Buddhability, or we talk about, again, interchangeable with Buddhahood, is it's not like it's a potential or an ability in your life that you have to practice bringing out. It's not like you hit a button and then you live in that state for the rest of your life. So I feel like what you've described, just like challenging this inner negativity that is trying to do the opposite, that is actual life. Whatever way it shows up for you based on your own karma might be different, but that's the battle for everybody Yeah. till the end. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, amazing. I am curious, do you have any like favorite quotes that like you've held on to? Here we go. Yeah. Do you want me to read it? Sure. Okay. Yeah. And this is a, a quote from Isaku Ikeda. And yeah, and it says, everything depends on what is in our hearts. If we decide to ourselves that something is possible, then consistent with our minds and thinking so, even something that is possible for us will become impossible. On the other hand, if we have the confidence that we can definitely do something, then we are already one step closer to achieving it in reality end quote. Mm. That's my favorite. Wow. Yeah. That's totally my favorite because it's in your mind, you know, for sure. 
100%. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, I feel like we've covered so much. So maybe what I'll do is move to our closing questions because I always like to end the show the same way. So the first question is, if you could define your own bootability, how would you define it? That's a hard question. My own bootability. If I could define my own bootability, it would be like that James that everybody knows and loves. I guess it's just like the person who I who I really am at my best, which is like somebody who loves people and loves like interacting and laughing and like enjoying and and seeing other people happy and I I'm just the kind of person who likes to enjoy myself some people like to work really hard at things or like I'm just the one who like wants to have a good time wants everybody to be happy wants to like talk yeah that's why I do so good as a salesperson I think <laughs> because I like to make people feel good I like to socialize I'm the life of the party that is the bootability I, I guess I, I just probably, probably that, that quote or and phrase in SGI about being the sun in your environment, that I think I definitely would be the sun in the environment. I think that like when I'm at my best, I really can affect the environment in such a great way. And so I think that my own bootability would be like the sun. I love that. I really do. Yeah, because it's I, it makes me think too, just like the period of time that you described when you were really struggling or feeling up and down or not able to show up. Like for a person who loves to show up for other people, it must have been really hard to feel like you're not able to show up everywhere that you want to as your best self. And that's like amazing example of like, you can literally chant about anything and it doesn't even have to be explicit. You could just like chant and then you live your way into being that person again. Right, yeah, exactly. amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk through all of this. And also so honestly, I know I'm sure people will be super encouraged. So I will ask my last question. So this is how we always end every episode, which is if you could give one piece of advice to anyone who's listening, who might be new to Buddhism, but they're currently struggling with challenges similar to what you've gone through, what one piece of advice would you give? I would say, don't be afraid and don't let your fears dictate your actions. If you're afraid of something and you don't wanna act because you're afraid this is gonna happen or if you're not sure, I would say if you, that's probably the exact reason why you should do that thing. And I would say that if, and I would say chanting is probably the best way to, to transform that and to change that. I'll leave you today with the following words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda, which are a hopeful way to begin to practice exactly what James described, constantly moving forward from this moment on. Ikeda writes, Nothing is irredeemable in youth. Rather, the worst mistake you can make when young is to give up and not challenge yourselves for fear of failure. The past is the past and the future is the future. Keep moving forward with a steady eye on the future. 
telling yourselves, I'll start from today. I'll start fresh from now, from this moment. This is the essence of Nichiren Buddhism, the Buddhism of true cause, the spirit to start from the present moment. This is the heart of chanting Nam-myoho Renge-kyo. On that note, as always, if you're new to chanting and you'd like to learn more, we have plenty of resources at buddhability.org. And as always, if you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.